Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The anxious electorates, a new look, and a bite out of liberal polling numbers have all boosted the profile of conservative leader Pierre Polyev, who was picked by editors across the country as the Canadian Press 2023 Newsmaker of the Year today. The official opposition leader now heads into 2024 after months of rising support in the polls, while Justin Trudeau and his Liberals have been trailing. Liberals have been scrambling to catch up with the Conservatives' effective messaging on issues like housing and the cost of living crisis felt by many, many Canadians. Joining me now to discuss all that has transpired in 2023 is Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Mr. Polyev, thank you for joining us today. Good to be with you. Lots to talk about. Um, you know, in the last year, your polling numbers uh, have gone up significantly. Uh, many view you as a prime minister in waiting. If you can look back a little bit, can you point to one or two moments or points that you think made a difference for you this year in regards to uh, connecting with Canadians? I think it's when I stood in front of a house in Vancouver that was falling apart and uh, probably 50 years old, and I said, uh, this house is now running for $5 million. Uh, And um, it kind of brought to light how crazy real estate prices and the cost of housing have gotten after eight years of Trudeau, who's doubled the cost of rent, mortgage payments, and down payments, and made Canada's housing market probably the most overpriced in the developed world in just eight years. Uh, By contrast, I've been offering a common sense plan to require cities permit 15% more housing per year uh, and permit high-rises around all future federally funded transit stations as a condition of getting federal money. Um, I'm planning to sell off 6,000 federal buildings and thousands of acres of federal land so we can build, build, build. In other words, people see the contrast that under Trudeau, housing costs have doubled, and under my common sense plan, we can return to affordable housing like we had eight years ago when I was the housing minister. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would point to is inflation. I predicted that Trudeau printing $600 billion of cash would bid up the cost of the goods we buy and the interest we pay. He denied it, and it turned out I was right. And now people say, look, Polyev's common sense plan to axe the carbon tax and cap spending so we balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates is the only way we're going to get ahead. So the choice for Canadians is really do you want a costly coalition of Trudeau and the NDP that taxes your food and punishes your work and doubles your housing cost and unleashes crime in your community or a common sense conservative prime minister that frees you to earn a powerful paycheck that buys affordable food, gas and homes and safe neighborhoods. Did you make the conscious effort to focus on the economy and the, uh, and the, and the, and the pocketbook? I mean, you saw that initially, you thought that was what was really impacting Canadians. That's what you wanted to talk about? Yes. 
Uh, let's touch on just housing just for a moment. You you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, standing in front of that uh, 50-year-old house. I think it was selling for $5 million. Uh, here in British Columbia, the, the provincial NDP uh, has introduced significant provincial legislation, which bigfoots local governments when it comes to zoning, density, and approvals. Uh, you have the federal government's housing accelerator fund. Uh, they've also talked about uh, eliminating GST on rental bills. They're literally making deals with municipalities directly. Uh, outside the provincial government. You touched a little bit on what you'd like to see done. How much of an impact in your mind do you think your government or any federal government can have on local pricing when it comes to housing? I think we can have an impact by incentivizing the cities to speed up, speed up and lower the cost of permits while freeing up land to build on. Um, but the way you have to do it is through an incentive that pays for results, not promises. And this is the key difference. Trudeau is giving big fat checks to mayors so that they'll hold photo ops with him where they promise there'll be a bunch of new housing. It's not clear if that housing is stuff that would have been built anyway, or if they're blocking some other housing to neutralize any benefit. What I propose is to make a simple mathematical formula that says every major municipality has to permit 15% more home completions or they lose federal money. If they beat the target, they get even more money. They beat it by 10%, they get 10% more. If they miss it by 10%, they get 10% less. In other words, I'm proposing to pay the local bureaucracy like realtors get paid, based on volume and outcomes, Mm -hmm. not based on promises and photo ops. Uh, Secondly, we need to make it mandatory, not encourage, mandatory, that if the feds fund a transit station, there has to be sky rises all around it so that our seniors and youth can live next to buses and trains. Third, we've got thousands and thousands of unused federal buildings. Let's sell them off and let's build on them with a covenant that the housing on that land has to be affordable to people. And then next, I would say that CMHC, the federal bureaucracy that approves financing for apartments, should do it in two months, not two years. And we should put it in law that if the executives don't hit the two-month target, they're fired. That's the way the real world works long we've been paying off bureaucrats to do a terrible job and with great human suffering as a result and they just get another check my approach is to pay for results not promises and that's how we're going to bring homes people can afford um, the issue of housing itself there was a time the federal government was involved in the housing business when it comes to affordable housing cooperatives and then they got out of that business partially it was because they wanted a war on the deficit and debt uh, in the 90s, but uh, it's been a long time since the federal government was directly involved in housing to a certain degree. Is it fair to say that no matter what plan you introduce or the other guys, whether it be the federal liberals, the NDP introduce, this is not going to be done in one four-year term. This is a, a, a probably a 10-year minimum um, uh, challenge before all Canadians to drive down house prices, or at the very least introduce more supply. Look, it will take some time, but I, I think we've got to start to give ourselves a kick in the butt in this country. We always give ourselves, we're making so many excuses for ourselves. Why does it take so long? You know, why does it take seven years to get a building permit for something in this country? It doesn't work that way in other places around the world. In Singapore, you can register a business in 15 minutes. In parts of the United States, you can get a building permit in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we're, we're becoming, we're moving back to the Stone Age here. Uh, and we've just said, we've just accepted that the bureaucracy can be slow and incompetent, and that's just the way it is. I don't accept that 
And we have we need a government that says we're going to pay for results. We're going to fire bureaucrats that don't deliver those results. We want outcomes. We want the government to get out of the way so our builders can build. We've got the land, the labor, the lumber. We, you know, one example: the Squamish people in Vancouver are building 6,000 units of housing on 10 acres of land. They never would have been able to do it if City Hall was in charge, but they had a reserve. So the reserve could approve its own building. And that's why 6,000 people are getting a home. Why don't we do what the Squamish did? Squamish could do it. Why can't Vancouver? Mr. Palio, let's uh, talk about one of the other issues that are front and centre for Canadians today, and that's immigration. We're a country of immigrants. I'm an immigrant. I'm the son of immigrants. You're married to an immigrant. We were all descendants of immigrants. But there is a tremendous amount of concern in this country about our immigration levels. 500,000 immigrants coming into this country by 2025 every year. There's a significant amount of international students as well. Just yesterday in Ontario, we heard of the amount of students that the college system there is reliant upon. I'm talking about international students, as they are here uh, in British Columbia. My question to you is a simple one. How would you fix our immigration system? Well, on the college system, I would require that colleges and universities prove they have housing to meet the demand of the students they want to welcome. I understand they want to make money, but you can't bring kids here if you don't have houses for them. We've got kids coming from around the world, forced to live under bridges and on street corners, crammed 16 into an apartment. Uh, They end up in gangs, addicted to drugs, uh, and suffering great loss many of them dying, actually. We need, I'm going to require universities and colleges prove they have housing for the students they bring in. Second, I'm going to shut down the fake colleges that are offering phony diplomas just to get kids here and get them into low-paid or sometimes black market jobs. We've got to end the fraud in the, the international student system. That's where the big numbers are. It's, it's not actually permanent immigration. It's the temporary immigration of students and temporary foreign workers, and we need to root out the fraud in that system. Secondly, we need to link immigration numbers to the number of houses that have been built in the preceding years and the number of doctors that have been added to the healthcare system. Humans need healthcare and housing. It doesn't matter where they're from. So if we're bringing people here we have, we have, to increase our population, we have to have increased our housing stock and our healthcare resources by an equal or greater amount. Uh, and so we need to link the federal immigration targets to the amount of health care and housing available. And that's what my election platform will specify when we run for election uh, in the in this years ahead. I, I find the immigration que- question and conversation quite interesting in that we have a lack of housing. I think we're building about 220,000 houses, uh, housing units per year. Uh, we require about 800,000 a year, roughly. And yet we have an immigration system on steroids at this point. Over the next few years, I'm talking next two or three years, something has to give. Either we build more or reduce the amount of uh, students uh, in in this case, or it may be immigration or refugees, whatever it may be. We have to reduce, be it temporarily, permanently, whatever you want to have that, whatever you want to do. Ultimately, something has to give here. Is that a fair comment in your mind? Like this, this present system cannot continue for another two or three years. Yes, it is. The math is very simple. You increase the population by 1.2 million. You need 500,000 homes. Why? Because we have about 2.6 people per home in Canada. That's how we spread ourselves out in this country. So you need a home 
one new home built for every 2.6 people added to our population, just to stay at the current level of housing affordability, which is already horrible. So you would need just a bit, just to accommodate 1.2 million people and keep housing as miserable as it is today, you'd need to build about 500,000 homes. We're building 200,000. That means that there's a grow, every year we do this, we're adding 300,000 uh, families who don't have a home. That's just the arithmetic. So either you build more homes or you grow the population slower or some combination thereof. But you're absolutely right when you say that the mathematics do not add up. Mm -hmm. It's not about ideology. It's not about even public policy or partisanship. It's about strict math. As Pythagoras said, numbers rule the universe. Uh, the immigration number itself, 500,000 immigrants uh, officially coming to this country in 2025. What would you, what do you consider the right number? If 500,000, some Canadians are saying are, is quite high, very high, it's the first time we'll be hitting that number as official immigrants. Uh, if you were prime minister, what number do you think we should be allowing into this country? So I, 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 I'm not going to reveal my election platform on, the, on this call, but I will say that my plat when I do reveal it, it will include a plan to link the immigration numbers for the coming year to the number of homes built and doctors hired in the prior year. So that way we bring in the number of people we can house and care for. Um, humans need healthcare and housing. And unless you increase the, those faster than the population grows, then we'll have shortages of both. So my platform will not be focused on high in the sky dreams like making Canada a 100 million person country like Trudeau has committed to with his Century Initiative. It'll be focused on making sure we have enough health care and housing for our own people first and for newcomers as well. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, we've been in the midst of a conversation with Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Today, the Canadian Press uh, picked him as the uh, 2023 Newsmaker of the Year. Now, Mr. Polyev, let's move on to another issue, which uh, is near and dear to, to Canadians, especially here uh, for those of us here in British Columbia, and that's climate change. One of the reasons you're doing very well in the polls is you've been really focused on the issue of carbon tax. What would a climate change program under your re leadership look like if you were the prime minister of this country? Technology and not taxes. We need to lower the cost of carbon-free energy rather than raising the cost of the traditional energy we still need. So uh, right now Trudeau is saying, well, he's going to keep punishing people who drive cars and heat homes and uh, eat farm-grown food. Uh, by taxing all of those activities with a 61 cents a liter tax. That is not fair because people still need traditional energy uh, and will for the many years to come. My approach is the inverse. Let us speed up the approval of hydroelectric dams and safe, efficient, emissions-free nuclear power so that we can feed our grid emissions-free. Let's mine the lithium, cobalt, graphite, copper and other minerals of electrification here in Canada rather than buying them from China where they burn coal to refine them. Let's export Canada's clean civilian grade uranium so that foreign countries can open nuclear power plants rather than burning coal. And let's sell our clean Canadian natural gas, which we can liquefy with the lowest environmental footprint in the world due to the fact that we have clean hydro to power the plants 
cold weather to uh, do some of the liquefaction for us and shorter shipping distances to Asia and Europe than the rest of North America has. Let's use those advantages to give countries lower emitting forces, uh, forms of energy. That way we can bring home powerful paychecks to our people. But what's clear is our people cannot pay a 61 cent a liter carbon tax. You think the carbon tax is high now. Trudeau and the NDP want to quadruple it. I, I think what are, what's going to happen to the farmer that's going to be spending literally a half a million dollars on carbon taxes? He either goes out of business or he raises his prices on consumers. How are our seniors going to feed themselves when we have a tax that high? It's not realistic. Let's ax the tax and use technology and not taxes to bring home lower emissions and prices. Do you, do you think the carbon tax has done absolutely nothing when it comes to changing behavior uh, in regards to switching to cleaner, let's say, buying EVs or hybrids? Do you think it's just been an outright failure, the whole carbon tax plan? It has. And uh, what little change in behavior you get by punishing people is cancelled out by the fact that we're now we're now sending more of our production to more polluting jurisdictions. I've got a tomato farm in my riding that's paying carbon taxes on the CO2 they release into their greenhouse, even though that CO2 is absorbed by the plant life. So it's now more uh, affordable to buy a Mexican tomato in my Ottawa community than it is to buy the local tomato. So we're sending a price signal to people to buy the tomato that had to be trucked and trained burning fossil fuels across the entire continent rather than buying the more environmentally friendly local farm produce. That is not good for the environment, sure not good for our farmers. And that's true across our economy. We're pushing production to more polluting foreign jurisdictions and then importing those things to our country. I would ask the tax, bring home the production to Canada and do it more efficiently and green and more environmentally friendly here at home. Uh, Mr. Paul, I just have a couple more questions for you here. As a Canadian Prime Minister, uh, I just want to talk on for, foreign policy just, policy just for a second here. Uh, prime Minister, the next Prime Minister, is going to ha- have to deal with a very dangerous and fast-changing world. Um, you've got the rise of India. You've got an increasingly increasingly brazen <coughs> um, uh, China. You have Russian aggression. You have challenges in the Middle East. Uh, what does foreign policy... Uh, under your leadership look like moving forward? Uh, we have huge challenges with China. We've got police forces, legal police stations in this country. And with India, you have allegations of one of our Canadian citizens uh, being killed by a foreign power like India. What does foreign policy look like under a peer policy of government? I will use what I call the bring-it-home doctrine, which means let's stand up for our country before all other countries. Let's stand up for Canada. Um, we sure we can stand uh, for human rights and our values around the world. We also have to focus on what it, what it means for Canadians here at home. So, for example, we need to repatriate more energy and resource production to our country and export it to the world to displace dirty dictators and let this so that, that they can't use oil and gas to power their aggression. We need to cut back on aid that ends up in the hands of dictators, terrorists, and multinational bureaucracies, and put that money into rebuilding our military in order to keep ourselves safe and secure in an increasingly dangerous world. Let's keep foreign actors out of this country, uh, foreign governments, I mean, by bringing in a foreign agent registry that would require anyone who works for a foreign regime to manipulate our politics or influence our society to 
uh, register and have their name exposed on a public website. They do this in the States and Australia. I don't know why it's been taking the government so long to do it here. In other words, let's bring home control of our democracy and let's put our own people first. My final question to you, you've picked up a lot of support from young people, uh, labor, some would argue a lot of non-traditional conservative supporters. Uh, how do you plan to balance uh, those supporters and their needs with some of your more traditional supporters who may have other perspectives and other wants uh, as voters? How do you balance that moving forward as we head into uh, an election in 2025 or earlier? Common sense. It's the same common sense values that I appeal to to people of all age groups. Uh, so uh, that means, for example, jail and not bail for repeat violent offenders to bring safety to our streets, um, giving treatment not more deregulated, decriminalized and dangerous drugs that have caused the chaos in our communities. It means respecting hunters and sport shooters, but in, uh, while going after gangsters and gun smugglers. It means um, cutting income tax. One of the things young people say is they want a lower income tax bill so that they're rewarded for their hard work. It turns out pensioners want the same thing. These common sense values unite all Canadians. This was the common sense consensus of both liberals and conservatives before Justin Trudeau came along with a very radical agenda. So it's the common sense of the, of the common people united for our common home. Mr. Polyev, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. You've made a lot of time for our show uh, throughout this year, and I always appreciate uh, you dropping by uh, whenever you are in Vancouver. I want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Many blessings to your family, and Merry Christmas to all of your, to you and your, your station and all of your listeners. Bye now.